Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hi, everyone. This is Julia Longoria, host of The Experiment. One of the very best parts of my job is getting to call up journalists like Ed Young, Van Newkirk, and Amanda Mole. Their reporting for The Atlantic has brought vital insight to millions of readers and listeners around the world. You can enjoy all of The Atlantic's groundbreaking journalism, gain unlimited access to every single story when you become a subscriber. Just go to theatlantic.com slash listener and get started. Today on The Experiment, we talk about an old type of American movie. I wish I could be a real Negro or a real white person. Somebody, I don't know what to do. So, back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, into the 60s, Hollywood used to make these passing movies. And these were movies where a Black character is passing for white. Correspondent Tracy Hunt has been watching a lot of these movies. So a lot of these movies were written and directed by white people. The Black characters tended to be very stereotypical and not have a lot of depth. And very often, like almost 100% of the time, the actor who's playing the passing character is actually a white woman. And I think the most ridiculous example of this is this 1960 movie called I Passed for White. I made friends with a nice white girl. And when she found out you were colored, she wasn't so nice. Yes, we meet our main character, and her skin color is just causing problems wherever she goes. I'm not really a Negro, and, and I'm not a white. Why can't I be what I look to be, what people take me for? So, Tracy, why, why are you subjecting yourself to all these cringy movies? A lot of these movies are ridiculous, but I think that they're, like, really kind of a fascinating snapshot into how white filmmakers in that time period were trying to grapple with these really big questions about race and identity and what it's like to actually be a Black person in America. And they're doing it in a very clumsy, very cringy way. But, you know, as tired as this trope is, it's still like a very deep creative well to draw from. And there's this new movie that has a kind of passing storyline. And I think it's actually trying to do something new and more interesting with it than all these movies from the past did. This week, experiment correspondent Tracy Hunt dissects some classic films from Hollywood history about a unique American experience, passing. And she sits down with the woman, actor, writer, and director Rebecca Hall, who reaches into her own family's complicated history to try and retell an old American story in a new way. I'm Julia Longoria. This is The Experiment a show about our unfinished country. One of the most famous of these passing movies is this 1949 Elliot Kazan film called Pinky. It tells the story of a young woman who has just returned to her hometown in the South. Pinky child. It's Granny. It's, It's me. And it comes out that when she was up north, she was passing for white. And you know, she's just like, sick of being treated, you know, like how Black people are treated in the South. Hey, 
What keep you doing so in this scene, Pinky and two other black people are having an altercation, and the cops roll up. What was the trouble, ma'am? I don't care to make any charges. Oh, just a minute, if you please. And at first, the cops are really nice to Pinky because they think she's white. But there's a black woman standing there that Pinky was just in a fight with. <laughs> and she's getting really frustrated, and then she just kind of tells the cops, like, why are you treating her so nice? Shut up, girl. Oh, excuse me, sir, but why are you two white men mamming her? She's nothing but a low-down color gal. And then you see the cop just change on a dime. He immediately arrests them, including Pinky, and takes them in. You know, the thing about these passing movies is that they're really for white people. They're not really made with black people in mind. And they're basically trying to show white people what racism is like and build empathy in white people. And quite frankly, the way they're doing this is by taking a white woman, and it's usually an actress who's very well known as a white woman, like everybody knows she's a white woman, (laughs) and putting her in the shoes of a black person. But I should say that there's one passing movie that I absolutely love, and that's the 1959 version of Imitation of Life. Are you happy here, honey? Are you finding what you really want? So in this scene, the mother, Annie, who's black, has come to see her light-skinned daughter, Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane has run away from home so that she can pass for white. Please, Mama, will you go? And if by accident we should ever pass on the street, please don't recognize me. But Annie just wants to see Sarah Jane one more time. Sarah Jane. Oh, my baby. My beautiful, beautiful baby. I love you so much. Nothing you ever do can stop that. Oh, Mama. Um. I mean, I'm crying over here. <laughs> uh, this movie works. <laughs> so, yeah, what, why do you think this works? I think that this movie does a really good job of showing exactly what happens when somebody passes. It's showing the true tragedy. The tragedy isn't necessarily like this light-skinned Black person is found out. Or the tragedy isn't that a white person found out that this light-skinned Black person has been lying to them. The tragedy in this is that you see that in order to pass, Sarah Jane has to, like, completely leave her old life behind. She has to, like, pretend that her mother does not even exist. And one thing about a lot of passing movies is that they kind of equate Blackness with dehumanization, poverty, Like, to be a Black person in America is to be always downtrodden. Right, like you would never want to be or something. You would (laughs) never want to be a Black person, right? Right. But you realize that Blackness is not just all the terrible things that white people do to us. Blackness is also a heritage to be proud of. And that when you turn your back on it, there's actual real pain and real repercussions And those repercussions don't always involve white people. And I just have a lot of affection for this movie, Imitation of Life. 
even though it has the exact same issues that we were just talking about with Pinky. You know, where it's written and directed by white people, and the person who's playing the passing character is a white actress, and a lot of the scenes are melodramatic. As far as I know, a lot of these passing movies had these same problems. And the last major Hollywood movie that had a passing storyline that I can think of came out, like, almost 20 years ago. Why do you think that is? Do you have a theory? Well, my, my theory is that, you know, we've come a long way. We, <laughs> we've, you know, definitely changed the way we think and talk about race and identity in this country. And obviously there were a lot of societal changes, you know, segregation ended. And also we have more mixed race people than ever. <laughs> and they can talk for themselves. They don't need, if they ever did need somebody, they don't need a white writer, director to explain their existence to other white people. So there's kind of no need for the passing movie. (laughs) But, you know, as I say that, there is a new passing movie. And it's called simply Passing. No, you haven't ever thought to. What? You ever thought of passing? No, why should I? No, I have everything. And in a big change from precedent, (laughs) this movie is actually going to star black people. Ruth Nega and Tessa Thompson are playing the leads, and it's directed by a woman named Rebecca Hall. I'm doing. Hold it up. So I'm recording myself. How's everybody doing over there? So Rebecca Hall has had this long career in movies as an actor. She was in The Prestige, Iron Man 3, movies that really don't call attention to anyone's race or anything or talk about race in any way. And this is important because, like, if you see a picture of Rebecca Hall, you would assume that she's a white woman. But her mother is actually a mixed-race Black woman. So Rebecca's mom is an opera singer named Maria Ewing. And she's a huge international opera star, actually. Um, She was born in Detroit, and she is known for roles like Salome and Carmen. And... Ewing met Rebecca's father, the famous white British theater director, Peter Hall, when he directed her in a show at an opera festival in England. I mean, she went from, you know, it was a working class background. She wasn't in a kind of elite educational anything or anything like that, but she sort of was brilliant at singing and it just catapulted her into huge success very quickly. I mean, she won some competitions and then got into, like, the Cleveland Institute of Music when she was very young, then, you know, became a a sort of opera star overnight. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of mysteries around my mother's racial identity. There were plenty of opera publications that referred to her, like, some people referred to her as black, some people referred to her as white, some people referred to her as mixed. I mean, often she would just be described as exotic, which is really troubling. When you looked at your mom when you were a kid, what did you see? Did it was it something like she doesn't look like all the other British moms? No, I saw a black woman. I'm I'm you sorry, did? I did. I did. You really? Even I really that did. Young? Yeah. And I I don't even know if she like really knows this, but I'm like I did. She always looked black to me, and I was like, I know other people who look like you and are, are identifying wholly as black. Did you ever tell her that? Like, yeah. 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 What would she say to that? Or I, I find it difficult to talk about this side of it because I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. want to put words in, in my mother's mouth yeah. and it's her story, you know. But it's like it's—and it's super tricky. 
You know, she grew up in a white neighborhood playing with a neighbor, white woman and their kids, and then, you know, cut to her being 16 years old and coming home from school with her father and getting out of the car and the neighbors saying horrible racial epithet and why don't you die? I think if you're the child of someone who has essentially told you that this thing is not to be spoken of, you're raised going, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to speak of this. It was incredibly complicated for her. You know, she was just vague. Like it would, the story would change and mutate. So there was this narrative of like, it's possible maybe a little bit, or it's a little bit this or a little bit that. And it's minimized and dismissed on some level, because I think that's probably an easier way to negotiate it. I don't like begrudge that, you know, or I don't want to criticize that. It's a sort of response that I think is probably quite natural. I think she just didn't know what she was meant to feel about it. And Rebecca wasn't sure how to feel about it either until she read a book, a novel. I read Passing first 13 years ago. So Passing was actually written by Nella Larson in 1929. And Larson was a mixed-race Black woman who was part of the Harlem Renaissance. So the novel isn't new, but Rebecca first encountered it when she was in her 20s. It was a moment in my life where I was spending more time in America. Do you remember who gave it to you? Yeah, I've got to, I've got to give credit where credit's due. It was a white guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so this white guy, he, so he hands you the book. Does, like, what is his intention? Was it well, just like, it was a, a good like, book? It was at a moment where I was, in a kind of clumsy, muddy way, I was finding myself in r- rooms of people. And this is often, a, you know, a, a mixed race experience, I guess, mm-hmm. or, you know, a white passing experience when you find yourself in rooms where people are making assumptions about you based on how you look and maybe saying things that they wouldn't otherwise. And I didn't have words. I didn't have phrases like passing or white passing, you know, to sort of understand kind of where I sit in it. My friend gave me the book because of that (laughs) (laughs) and was like, this book might mean something to you. Oh, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but I remember looking at the title and thinking... Passing? Like, why would anyone call a book passing? What does that even mean? I just didn't know. I just didn't have the language for it. Passing is about two light-skinned Black women, Claire and Irene. They were friends as children and reconnect as adults. Irene is very respectable, living a life in Harlem with her Black husband and two children. Claire, on the other hand, is passing and married to a racist white man. I mean, the thing that I find so sort of like radical about the book is that it's not this conventional morality tale. You know, you think initially it's like, oh, Irene's the morally righteous one and and Claire's the baddie because she's done this transgressive thing and she will be punished for it. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, you said the book is radical. Why was it radical for you in that way? By the time she was writing, there was already a tradition of like passing narratives. And they fell pretty squarely into this camp of tragic figure who ultimately gets punished for her choice and and it's always a woman yeah it's always a woman and it's usually a woman in relation to white men and i i think like it's like it feels like nella larson takes that and then makes it about two women and their effect on each other and that i think is fairly radical for 1929 to show the emotional lives of two women of color how they affect each other how they're attracted to each other, how they're repelled, 
I mean, I thought on first reading that there was something interesting about the kind of like an erotic underpinning of female friendship, like the, the way that envy or kind of wanting to be someone slips into something else and it's not necessarily like acted on. But I thought that was very honest in an odd way. And after reading the book, Rebecca Hall became obsessed. The, there's a lot about both of the women in the novel that r- remind me of not just aspects about my mother, but also aspects about myself. It seems like it kind of almost like threw on a light switch on some like mm. dark room in your memory or in your family's past in a way. And I went, what was it about it that like kind of had that effect? You know, it was sort of like a, the missing piece of a puzzle. It was like someone had just stoked a fire is what it really felt like. It just sent me into a sort of place of creative fervor that not many things I have come in contact with sparked. And I finished the book and immediately started writing the screenplay. Like I couldn't stop myself. Really? Yeah. And I couldn't turn off the ideas. It has to be in black and white and it has to be square. And I don't really know what that's called. Something to do with the aspect ratio. I'll learn that later. But, (laughs) you know, I couldn't, I couldn't really stop a lot of the images. Like those were all ideas that came while I was reading it for the first time. And I couldn't turn that off. It was sort of like something that I had to kind of um, exorcise from my body by writing it all down. And the first draft came out in 10 days. 13 years after that first draft and almost 100 years after the book first came out, the movie Passing is out in the world. One thing that was really funny was when the trailer came out, there was all this like, conversation on social media about Ruth and Tessa not looking like they could pass. And it was like, everyone was all of a sudden like race detectives or race scientists. I know. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, not quite taking the calipers out, but almost taking yeah. them out, you know. In many ways, it was sort of good for the point of the movie. <laughs> it was kind of drawing attention to it. Also, you know, I, I just wanted to toy with the slippery reality of all of these constructs. I mean, the whole book is doing that, really. And, you know, if we try and stuff ourselves all into one container, we invariably slip out the sides of it. I guess it was sparking the sort of conversation that I sort of knew in my bones was coming. Yeah. And was kind of deliberate, honestly. I mean, the casting was deliberate. Oh, in what way? Well, I was interested in casting two women that the audience had a fairly fixed idea of their racial identity as being Black. Mm -hmm. Because I had somewhere from which to destabilize that idea in the process of the film. The reason the film is in black and white is so I could cast those women. Because yes, I can play with shade and lighting and lighting states and sort of make their faces mutable on some level. But, you know, you take, for an example, the first scene in the hotel room where the two women are there and John, the husband, comes in. John, dear! I ran into an old, old friend of mine from school, Irene Westover. Irene, this is my husband, John Bellew. Pleasure to meet you, Mrs. Westover. You know, that room is deliberately, oppressively white in the movie. The walls are white, the costumes are white, there is a huge amount of light coming in from the side window. And the sort of point of that was, he holds all the power in this room, so he turns it white. He has the power to see what he wants to see. And the audience, though, are still seeing them as black. 
which is crucial. Yeah. Because from that perspective, you're thinking, is everyone not seeing what I'm seeing? I'm scared for them. I'm scared for mm-hmm. them that they might get find out. And you wouldn't be feeling that with a different face. And that's the perspective that I wanted the audience to sit in for the movie. Coming up, how making the film Passing changed Rebecca Hall and how retelling a story from the past brought up all kinds of stuff in the present. Were you prepared for people to, like, see you and wonder why this white woman was making this movie? Was that something that you were thinking about? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was, of course, nervous about that. Hi, everyone. This is Julia Longoria, host of The Experiment. One of the very best parts of my job is getting to call up journalists like Ed Young, Van Newkirk, and Amanda Mole. Their reporting for The Atlantic has brought vital insight to millions of readers and listeners around the world. You can enjoy all of The Atlantic's groundbreaking journalism, gain unlimited access to every single story when you become a subscriber. Just go to theatlantic.com listener and get started. You're listening to The Experiment. I'm Tracy Hunt. Rebecca always wanted to find out more about her family's own passing story. Her mother had been told she was a little bit of this or a little bit of that. But the funny thing is, is like, it wasn't a little bit. (laughs) It wasn't. And now I have found out it all. After wrapping on the movie, Rebecca worked with Henry Louis Gates Jr. and his TV show Finding Your Roots. That's when she learned the true identity of her Black American ancestors for the very first time. My great-grandfather, John Williams, he was born of a woman called Violet who worked in a house, and his father, who was called Ewing, owned them. He was the farmer who owned them. And that's the name that my mother's still carrying around. And what she found wasn't just an American story, but an extraordinary American story. Hall's great-grandfather, a man named John William Ewing, had been born enslaved, fathered by the white man who owned him and his family. But after emancipation, Ewing went on to work for the government, and he was also an advocate for Black people. He ended up giving a toast at the White House to Frederick Douglass. And that's been erased from my family's history, and it's the most extraordinary thing. Rebecca also learned that three days after her great-grandfather took part in this historic celebration of Black freedom at the White House, his stepfather was murdered. He was killed by the KKK. Rebecca's grandfather, John William Ewing's son, would later pass for white. It's impossible to know why he made that choice, but this tragic family story provided a clue. Was that painful to... I don't know. I feel like I would be angry, but that's my emotion. I don't, what is yours? (laughs) When I hear that story, I can only think that my grandfather, if his father's father was murdered because he spoke out, that's what my grandfather inherits. Is like standing up for the race means 
your family getting murdered. So you just inherit a lot of the fear, you know? So that was the first sort of light switch going on. Like, of course, this explains why nobody knew anything and why there was so much secrecy and why there was so much denial and why my mother doesn't know his family and doesn't know anything about his family. She couldn't even name her own grandfather. And that made tremendous sense to me. So I can't, it's hard for me to be anything but compassionate, honestly, even though I'm angry. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know much about like my family background past like my great grandparents maybe, but I I, I think about those people a lot. And I always think like, they survived. I think that that's like the most important part to take from their story, at least for me. And when I heard about your grandfather, I'm that's what I was coming away with. Like he survived. And the way he did it wasn't the way he, he, he did what he had to do. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's not lost on me that the system of white supremacy that forced him to make that choice is also one that I benefit from because he made that choice and because I look white. Yeah. Is that something that, um, when you hear this story, like you're finding out that you have this actual like lineage of Black Americanness, like that, do you feel like as a white presenting person that you actually own that or that you can tap into it? Or does it feel like okay, this is a crass way, but do you feel blacker? (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's just slightly that, I mean, I mean, this is the crux of the question, really, isn't it? I don't know, but what is, what is blackness? Like, how are we defining it? I don't, I don't know what my, my proximity to that is meaningful, because it's a powerful construct, but I don't experience, I have not experienced the world in a black body and there is a difference. Yeah. Obviously there is a difference and I can't, I don't feel a closer proximity to that because I only have the experience of how I look. But I'm a Ewing and that name was in large part, I look like I look because of an initial act of violence. So I can't let that win. So yes, I do feel blacker because of that. Yes. And also because it's been so hidden and so obscured from me, it feels necessary to be vocal about it and to identify with it. It makes me feel responsible. Yeah. It makes me feel like I want to um, reach out with compassion to my ancestors and, and, and do something, which is, I guess, why I make art about it. How did making this movie change you? Mm-hmm. pretty easier to answer the question of like how did it not change me I don't I really don't (laughs) it's big I mean there's the obvious stuff like before I made this movie I wasn't a writer and a director and and now I am um but I think it's also changed me in terms of how I think I was really sort of frightened to even negotiate my standing in relation to my own identity and all of these things um certainly as it pertains to race. And now I feel on much firmer ground about it, I think. 
I think like one of the tensions of these kinds of these passing stories is that they kind of show just how race is fake. It's just made up. It's just Precisely. done. It's not a. It's Precisely. not an actual thing. Yeah. But at the same time. That is, it actually is kind of a thing. It is kind of a thing. Yeah, well, it's like, yeah, it, it isn't real. It is a construct. It is all the fiction. That doesn't mean that the forces that make us grow up, you know, even someone like me who's not facing the world and, and appearing black, I still have the experience of being raised by someone who was raised by someone, you know, right. and that is that is real and gets passed on. So how that is constructed, even if it is hidden, still has a powerful effect on your existence. What do you think is like the emotional legacy of passing is, you know, in your own family? Like, what is it? What is it left behind? It sort of really pains me to say this, but it's like, the emotional legacy, honestly, is that you inherit an awful lot of of sort of internalized shame and none of the pride of being black. My mother would, you know, people would say things to her about certain features on her face. And it was like, you know, shame, shame you inherited that from there and not from your white side. There's no messaging in her immediate family, in her community, that is, this is beautiful, this is something to be proud of. It's a thing to navigate. To get through all that and just find the beauty and the pride. It's really what I wanted to give to my mother, I think. That's why I dedicated the film to her. Anyway. I'm sure she's seen it. What does she think about it? She loves it. Like, it's just, it's really simple. <laughs> <laughs> it's really simple. She loves it. Um, no, she, the first time she saw it, she just called me. She couldn't stop crying for about five, ten minutes. I think it was very cathartic for her on many levels. And what about all the stuff, you know, you, you learned about your family? How she taken that all in? It's a lot to unpack, but I think she's, I think she's able to see it in a, from a different perspective. And I think that has given her something of a, I don't know, release or something in this moment in her life. This episode was produced by Tracy Hunt and Peter Bresnan, with help from me, Alina Coleman. Editing by Emily Botin, Julia Longoria, and Jenny Lawton. Fact check by Will Gordon. Sound design by David Herman, with additional engineering by Joe Plord. Music by Tasty Morsels and Joe Plord. Our team also includes Natalia Ramirez, Kelly Prime, and Gabrielle Burbet. Hey, this is Tracy again. I just wanted to pop in and give a very special thank you to B.A. Parker, who loves movies more than anyone else I know, and gave a lot of great feedback on this episode. Thank you, Parker.
If you enjoyed today's episode, please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listened. And if you're a student or recent grad and want to join our team, please apply for our paid spring internship. We're accepting applications until November 19th. Find out more on this episode's page at theatlantic.com slash experiment. The Experiment is a co-production of The Atlantic and WNYC Studios. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. This is Julia Longoria, host of The Experiment. One of the very best parts of my job is getting to call up journalists like Ed Young, Van Newkirk, and Amanda Mole. Their reporting for The Atlantic has brought vital insight to millions of readers and listeners around the world. You can enjoy all of The Atlantic's groundbreaking journalism, gain unlimited access to every single story when you become a subscriber. Just go to theatlantic.com listener and get started.